0: Welcome to the Spotlight Lipedema Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Pelnitz. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm a woman with lipedema and lymphedema who wants to shine a light on what lipedema is and the challenges of living with it. This podcast is dedicated to everyone with lipedema, both those that know that they have it and those who remain undiagnosed. When I learned about lipedema back in 2017, I was shocked that something like this could exist with most doctors knowing nothing about it. I knew right then and there that I had to play my part in making this disfiguring disorder better known, so fewer people will continue to go undiagnosed. My hope is that the Spotlight Lipedema podcast will become a forum where we can connect to people living with shared challenges, concerns, and fears, a place where we can share a knowledge of not just living with lipodema, but thriving with it, Some place where we can learn from each other, and hopefully from some experts in the field. So thank you for joining me on my lipoedema journey. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Spotlight Lipedema podcast. I'm your host, Lori Palmitz. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe from COVID-19. I've been pretty much hunkered down at home since uh, even before the virus hit, so I've been doing okay, but I know that many people out there have to go out into the real world to go to work, to go shopping, and taking care of their personal affairs. So wherever you are and whatever you have to do, I hope you stay safe and well. I think I've got a great show lined up for you in this episode. I will be speaking with writer and the founder of the F Lipedema blog, Carol Nageda. I think you're going to really enjoy our conversation. But before I get started with Carol, I have a couple of items of interest for folks in the lipidema community. As many of you know, we had a jam packed month of special events back in June for Lipedema Awareness Month that focused on everything from lipidema research and surgery to lipidema advocacy. Events included interviews with lipedema patients, some of whom you've heard here on previous episodes of the podcast, like Patty Cornute and Selena Cronister, but also webinars, Zoom discussions with lipedema surgeons and researchers. There's a list in the show notes with links to how you can find many of those videos online so that you can catch up on anything that you might have missed. Also, for anyone with access to any of the Amazon Echo devices or with access to the Alexa app, Lipidema Simplified recently started releasing mini-podcasts, which you can hear by activating the Living Well with Lipidema flash briefing. Once the skill is activated, you'll be able to hear the latest from Lipidema Simplified whenever you ask Alexa for your flash briefing. If you have any Lipidema news or Lipidema-related events that you would like to have mentioned here on the podcast— Please send whatever information you can to spotlightlipedema at gmail.com. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back with Carol. Well, now I would like to welcome Carol Noguera to the podcast. Welcome and thank you for joining me today.
1: Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm very happy to have you here. And for people not familiar with Carol, she has had uh, several articles posted on Medium pertaining to Lipidema, as well as she's a blogger with her own blog called F lipedema, which I'm not going to... Yep. actually say just in case somebody is driving in the car with their kids i don't want to get uh-huh. them all upset or anything like that yeah so, i call so. it
1: f lipodema too sometimes on facebook <laughs> it has to be f lipidema facebook doesn't allow me to use the full word
0: right right
1: <laughs> but
0: anyway so uh, one of the reasons aside from the great work that carol's been doing in, in helping to get the word out about lipidema one of the reasons that i wanted to have you here is because you're a skinny lipedema person. And one of the things that I try to make sure that people realize is that with all the different stages of lipedema and the different types of lipedema, we have to kind of remember that we all have our own different challenges. And, you know, I know like sometimes, like when I looked at the picture you posted on, on online about, you know, what your legs look like, to me, they look beautiful. But I know, for you, they make you uncomfortable, because you weren't happy with the way they looked, and they hurt. And so that's one of the things that I want to keep reminding people of, especially those of us who are at the latter stages, is that we all have our different challenges. And we need to remember that, you know, even the people who are stage one and stage two, can be unhappy with their legs, and, and they have a right to be feeling that way and we don't know what pain people are dealing with. So that's one of the other reasons why I wanted to have you here too, is when did you start to realize that there was something going on with your legs and that you didn't think that they were normal?
1: Yeah, no, I, so I just wanted to say that I think what you uh, said makes perfect sense. And I've heard that a lot, you know, especially in the Facebook communities uh, for lipedema. And it's understandable, you know, um, that someone with a, legs that are a lot bigger would think that, um, you know, when they see someone with, a, with legs that are semi-normal, they think it's beautiful because it's so, you know, it's still closer to normal than theirs. Um, but I think what, what always, like, gets my attention when I see someone with a stage one or two lipedema is that you can tell that the legs are not normal, right? Um and I think that that's what's always been in the back of my mind even before I found out about lipedema. I couldn't find lipedema on Google for what I was searching, uh-huh. right? Okay, so you found you
0: found lipedema on Google when you when you typed in fat leg pain or something like that
1: or Yeah. Yeah, I think if you type painful fat legs or something, um, it's the first thing that shows up, you know, pretty much all the results about painful fat legs will be about lipoedema. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was interesting to me was that almost all the pictures were bigger women, right? They're all stage three or four, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't really, you know, that wasn't me. Um, so I reading the symptoms, I could tell that that's what I had. Um, and I found some pictures of you know stage one and two that kind of looks like me, but they were still a little bigger because my fat is not nodular yet, um, right. you know. So a lot of the pictures are the fat the fat's already nodular, right? And I kind of had a hunch that that's what I had, so I showed it to my husband and I showed it to my mom, and they were both like, "No, of course not. That's not what you have. No way." Um, They're much bigger, that's not it, you know, but I said, no, but remember grandma, because my grandma passed, I think, you know, 15 years ago, Um, and I remember that she had really, you know, her legs were huge, and Mm -hmm. most of her life, you know, her legs were huge, but she was obese, so a lot of people just thought that that's why her legs were as big as they were, you know, no one ever made much of it. Um, And I said, No, but look, these are exactly like my grandma's legs. And I had my mom find some older pictures of my grandma. And on my uh, grandma's pictures, you can actually see that she had like lymphedema, Um, Because there's pitting edema, even like on the pictures, you can see pitting edema, right? You know, so I said, Wow, no one ever even said to my grandma that she had lymphedema. And talking to my dad, I found out that she actually had a lot of pain on her legs. That's something that we didn't know. Uh, And she basically lived every day uh, taking anti-inflammatory drugs every day.
0: mm -hmm.
1: And we didn't know. So after, you know, having that thought, oh, maybe that's what I have, um, I decided to try to find a doctor. And luckily, I live in Los Angeles, so it it wasn't that hard for me to find a doctor that knew about it. And what I had to do was just, I assumed that I would find a doctor either in the UCLA or Cedar sinai system that knew something about it, since, you know, they're usually really good doctors. So I went to their websites and I was just trying to find a vascular doctor that had experience with lymphedema because I thought, oh, maybe if they've seen a, a lot of lymphedema patients, maybe they've come across lipedema. And I was right about that hunch too. So the first guy I went to, his name is Steven Farley. He's a UCLA doctor. I went there and you know how you're usually seen by the nurse, right? Before. So the nurse saw me and she was really shocked by my legs too. She said, I've never seen this before. I don't know what it is. And she started taking notes, you know, and I mentioned to her that um, someone had told me previously that I had um, vein issues and she said, oh yeah, okay, that's interesting. Um, Let's see what the doctor says. So, I stayed in the room and I was waiting, and here comes the doctor with, I think three or four people. Wow. <laughs> he came in with the nurse and two or three students. Um, and they all had you know their little like notepads. Mm-hmm. They were like ready to take notes because I think they had never seen it before, so um and he was probably just like showing it to them, and he comes in the room and he says, okay, so I hear you have swelling on your legs, I hear it's painful, and it's always been there, you know, and he just starts repeating what I had told the nurse, and he looks at my legs, he like grabs them, and he says, do you have any idea what you have? And I said, yes, I think I do, but I want to hear it from you. And he says, well, it's a disease called lipedema And I said, that's what I thought. So he says, have you read about it? Did you do research? And I said, yeah, it seems like the only real treatment is surgery. And he said, yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was that, you know, it was a really strange day. I, I, I remember leaving um, his office feeling like I had just been diagnosed with something really bad, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and of course, it's not. Uh, I, I told my husband that at the time, and he said, Oh, like, you're talking as if you had been diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> you know, of course, it's not that. But I think a lot of people with lipoedema have that same experience when they're just when they're first diagnosed, because um, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, right? it's scary. It, it's it, a scary diagnosis. I mean, yeah, when you
0: start reading about
1: it, and where it can go, it, it, it is. It's a scary diagnosis. Right. Because when you're diagnosed with something like, let's, you know, take that example, cancer, you kind of know what to do, right. you know, you know that you're probably going to have to go through chemo, you know, you're maybe you have to go through surgery, Um, if you Google, you know, I have breast cancer, your survival odds are, you know, (laughs) between this percentage. So there's a lot more uh, medical literature and there's a lot more, um, you know, research and there's a lot more documented cases. Um, So you know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Now with lipoedema, I had no idea what to expect because there's not a lot of documentation, there's not a lot of research done on it. Um, especially in my case, which, you know, not, not everyone is lucky to find out about it early. So I didn't really know what I could do to stop progression.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think the next thing that's overwhelming too, is thinking about the surgery, right? Because, um, you have a limited amount of uh, doctors that you can choose, because it has to be uh, someone that has experience with lipedema. And then basically, you have a handful of options if, you know, maybe you only have one option. I'm lucky that in LA, um, there's, I think, at least four doctors that are specialized in lipedema. So I at least had some choice, you know. But it's still not nearly enough. You know, you end up when you start like eliminating by, let's say, if you have a certain price range, or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to go with a certain technique, um, you, you get really limited. Plus, you want to go to a surgeon who you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And
0: who, who, I guess, it's one of those things where you have to feel like you can trust what they're saying and, and trust that they know what they're doing and You know, it sometimes it could take a lot of research to try and find these things out. I mean, not saying I'm not trying to say that there's people out there that aren't to be trusted. It just is, you know, your level of trust and feeling of comfort with, you know, any individual surgeon has to be there.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's what I always tell people, you know, now that I've actually gone through that process of finding a surgeon. And, you know, I almost had a really bad experience, too. I wrote an article about that. If someone wants to read it, it's there. It's on my Medium page. But I'm not going to go into detail because it's a long story. But um, it could have been, you know, potentially a bad experience. So I always tell someone that's trying to find a surgeon, if you don't feel comfortable with the person, if you don't feel comfortable putting your lives in the hand of that person, because that's literally what you're doing, don't do it, right? right? Um, I I just think, yeah, you have to have 100% confidence in that person. If you have just, you know, a little like punch that something's not right, it's probably because something is not right. Right. Well,
0: I didn't have the, the liposuction surgery. I had um, saddlebags removed because mm. of the, the lymphedema and the amount of just mass that I had in, in my hips. And that was one of the things that, and well, initially, I was almost afraid that I wasn't going to find a doctor who could do it because that's not a a common surgery that's done. I know that if I didn't feel like the doctor who I was working with was going to be the right one for me, I could never have done the surgery. And my surgeon was wonderful. And I would always, I mean, anybody who was looking for that kind of surgery, I would recommend him in a heartbeat. You know, it, it you do have to have that, that feeling. And I it's it's kind of hard to explain to people who haven't gone through that kind of a surgery f- before. Because to me, this feels a little bit different. Because, you know, like you were talking before, it's it's not a surgery that's done all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, a typical cancer surgery or fixing a broken leg kind of surgery. This is something that not a whole lot of doctors even know about. So mm-hmm. you want to really have that level of comfort knowing that this person knows what they're doing and that you could trust them and then
1: take it from there. So. Right. And I, you know, I think even the doctors are a little scared of doing it because the outcome is so different, you know, it really depends on each person. And I remember that's one of the things that scared me too, because one of the surgeons I saw. Which ended up being the the surgeon that I chose. He said to me that he didn't feel comfortable doing any surgery on my thighs, you know, the first time I saw him, because he said, Your fat's not nodular. I can tell it's lipoedema fat. You know, you have the sort of like the beads, you know, Mm -hmm. underneath your skin, but you can't see them. And he said, Your skin is actually really soft and it looks nice. So I don't know if I want to touch it because Mm -hmm. I could ruin your legs. He said that to me. Right. And, and initially, you know, that scared me. Um, but I think that that's also really important when you're mm-hmm. choosing a surgeon because it, you know, if he's saying that kind of thing, to me, he's being honest, right? right? He he would never say that if he's just trying to get your business. And on the other hand, you have some surgeons that will promise you the world. You know, they'll say, yes, you're going to look great. It'll, it'll, it'll be amazing. And that's, you know, it, it's impossible to say, right?
0: Mm-hmm
1: before you have the surgery, no one knows what the outcome is going to be. Right. Yeah, I
0: actually had a very similar experience because when I went to the surgeon who actually diagnosed me, he said, I can't do liposuction on you, not with your saddlebags. So until you can get those taken care of, I wouldn't recommend you having any liposuction. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that because he could very easily have said, oh, sure, I'll do it. And I just would have been ecstatic to have somebody doing that and wanted to get it started. Because, you know, after waiting 30 to 40 years to have something that was closer to normal looking legs, I I was just anxious to get something going, you know, basically. Um, So I appreciated his honesty when he said, you know what, I wouldn't recommend doing anything until you get the saddlebags taken care of. Plus, I needed to, you know, to try to, to lose some of the regular fat and to, I have lymphedema, so I need, you know, to get that better managed. And so, you know, liposuction is something that's definitely not anything in my near term future. But so what do you do
1: now that you, you found your surgeon and and you had the surgery? Yeah. So for first, can I say something about what you said? I think that's really, you touched on a really important uh, point which is uh, so I think I think there's there's three reasons why we're so overwhelmed when we first find out that we have lipoedema, right so we talked about the fact that it's an unknown disease so you're gonna have issues trying to find a doctor we talked about the fact that um, most likely you're probably going to look into some sort of surgery. And that's also overwhelming because there's not a lot of doctors that do it. You don't know what's going to be, you know, what the outcome is going to be. Um, but I think the third thing that's overwhelming for everyone is the fact that we had this our entire lives and no one has ever said to us what it was. Um, we've been misdiagnosed. We heard, you know, different things from different people. And we always thought it was our fault. So I think that's why it's such a an emotionally charged diagnosis, you know. Absolutely. I I felt like I had I had I had lived a lie my entire life, you Absolutely. know, when I found out. Because who you are physically is, you know, it's it's part of your identity. Absolutely. Right? So when when you find out that your entire identity had been defined by a disease, it's just the weirdest feeling. Well, that's why I always, you know,
0: I've, I've said this in previous podcasts. When I found out, when I realized that this was what I had, I felt vindicated, you know, because I had been telling people for years literally, I've been telling people for decades I'm not an overeater. There's, you know, there's something else going on. I I don't know what it is, but I mean, and people would just just, just be, yeah, yeah, what, whatever, you know. And I actually had a doctor at one point, and this was when I was pretty young. And I think this is really one of the things that kind of shaped how I approached everything, thinking that somehow it was me, um, was when I was literally, I want to say this was either late high school or college. I don't remember exactly, you know, when it was. But I actually, I do remember now that it was college and and it was after my second year of college and I got home after the second year was over and I made an appointment for the doctor because I had friends who were concerned because I had put on so much weight during that school year. And they they were like, I don't understand why you gain so much weight. We're together all the time. You don't eat anything more than we do. Mm -hmm. And they, they said, I think you should go to a doctor. And I went to a doctor and basically his attitude was, well, you know, you got fat when you were a kid. And so you've got all of these fat cells in your body that are just looking to gobble up every calorie that you've got. And they're going to hold on to it for dear life. So you're just going to have to face the fact that you're never going to be able to eat like a normal person because you're just going to keep getting fatter. Wow. And so when you were hearing this, and I guess maybe I was 19 or 20, I, I guess it was probably closer to 19. I was just kind of like, you know, this is my lot in life. And so I guess maybe that's also part of the reason why I never went crazy trying to find something because I had this doctor who told me that I had these fat cells that were going to just hold on to everything forever. So, I mean, I tried to lose weight and joined all these different programs and joined gyms and joined pools and, you know, all the rest of it. But just I just figured I wasn't doing it good enough or hard enough for even enough whatever yeah
1: (laughs) yeah you know no same you know i and that's what i'm saying too about the about it being part of your identity right i remember because i always had bigger legs i was always hiding them you know i i think i probably have one or two dresses in my wardrobe and i don't even wear them I have, you know, all my wardrobe are jeans and pants, and that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and it's been like that ever since I can remember. Um, and I, I, when I look back, there were some moments, you know, that people pointed out to me that something was off, but of course no one knows what it is, you know. I remember one friend, one day she put her hands on my waist and she said, Oh my God, you're so tiny. And yeah. I said, What? No, I'm not. And she said, No, you're tiny. And I always thought you were bigger because what I was doing was because I was so disproportional, I was trying to make my body look proportional. So I would wear I did, I did the same bigger thing. tops. <laughs> I did. Well, and the other thing as well is that
0: depending on what it is that you're wearing, um, you know, if it is some kind of like a dresser or whatever kind of outfit, you've got to buy bigger on the top so that it fits the bottom. Yes, I know. And so Uh all of your clothing, if you're lucky enough to to know how to sew, you can fix it. Or if you have enough money to have somebody who can, if you take it someplace to get it altered. But for a lot of people, that's just not in the realm of possibility. And and so I was always wearing stuff that was huge on the top, just so that it would fit the bottom. And then it made the top look bigger, but at least I looked proportional.
1: Right. Yeah. Same. And I think uh, there were some other moments, too, where I I think I always had pain, but I had never put too much thought into it. Mm -hmm. Or I thought, again, I thought that the pain was because I didn't exercise enough. And I thought that maybe I had to exercise more so I would be more athletic, you know, so I could have more endurance. I remember uh, when I first started dating my husband, I was 20, I think, mm-hmm. and he was 35 mm-hmm. and we went to a concert together. We went to a festival. And by the end of the night, you know, the main uh the main artist was performing, you know, the artist that everyone came to see was there, and I was, you know, watching the show, and I remember telling my husband, "You know what? I my legs are really tired and I can't really stand up anymore." And he kind of like brushed me off, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, wow, you really need to exercise more. I can't believe you're 20 and you can't even stand up for too long, you know. Now, keep in mind, you know, at that time I was probably what, like 135 pounds or something like that with like a five seven height. That's not normal. Right. Um, but at that time I didn't make much of it. And there's been, you know, some occasions where that happened. Like I could never really wear heels. It always just really bothered me and it hurt. Um and my foot are also really wide. But they were all just, you know, things that I thought were part of who I was and I never thought it could be connected to anything else.
0: And sometimes you don't realize that those things aren't normal. Like for some of the pains and aches and whatever you just figure well, everybody's got these pains, you know, of course it hurts when you when you squeeze or apply pressure here, doesn't it hurt for everybody and when you find- like for example when when you get larger and have the lip edema in your arms, it hurts when you get your blood pressure taken mm-hmm. and for me, it hurt for so long I never realized that that wasn't normal oh until. One time I was at the doctor's office and I winced, and it was my, of course, my left arm, and the nurse looked at me and she was like, well, what's the matter? I'm like, well, it hurts when you do that. She goes, it hurts when you get your blood pressure taken. I said, yeah. And she says, does this happen all the time? And I said, yeah. And she said, that's really unusual. It shouldn't hurt. So right. so she actually tried my right arm and my right arm it didn't hurt, so then oh. I started having it done in my right arm, but now it hurts in my right arm as well so I can I can't oh. use those automatic um, blood pressure things because number one it 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 hurts and it creates pain and that makes my blood pressure go up so it's not uh. accurate, <laughs> so I have to have it done on my forearm or or my wrist or something like that, but you oh, know wow. it's one of those things that sometimes see now when I was younger, I didn't have so much of the, the pain in my legs, and, and I was able to wear some really crazy heels. But what happened to me is I was really clumsy, and I was constantly tripping over my own feet, Same. way more than any of my friends ever did. And, and so I got to the point where you know, people just kind of got accustomed to me tripping. I mean, and I didn't <laughs> have to be in heels to be tripping. I could be wearing any kind of shoe and still manage to trip over my own feet. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, I attribute that now to the lymphedema because the heaviness of the legs makes it harder to move them the way they are supposed to move and yeah, to stand exactly. for extended periods of time. So what are you doing to manage, you know, now that you know you've, you're dealing with lymphedema, what are you doing to manage it to try and keep it from progressing as best you can?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, I had surgery uh, in January. I had the first of two surgeries that I need to have. So I had uh, the front of my legs done, and now I need to go and do the back of my legs and possibly my arms also. I don't have a lot on my arms, but I do have it. And uh, I didn't even know, you know, uh, my doctor actually pointed it out, I I have a little bit on my forearms as well. So I definitely want to get that taken care of before it gets bigger. Mm -hmm. um, And hopefully it won't progress. Um, but I also, I've tried a little bit of everything, you know, um, I read the things in the groups that are working for people and I try it. So right now what I've been doing, uh, because, so I I had surgery in January and then you're supposed to have MLD quite frequently after, right? So I was having it two or three times a week. Um, but then COVID hit and -hmm. I had to stop around March. So I sort of learned how to do self MLD. Mm Mm-hmm. And I try to do it every other night. Um, and then I know um, how I know how many people have had success with vibration plates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still didn't buy a plate, but I bought a massager that vibrates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been adding that as well into my routine. Yeah, that
0: actually makes a big difference. I have a, one of the deep tissue massagers. And I noticed that with the areas of my legs that are particularly fibrotic, that it really does a good job of of loosening things up.
1: So that definitely does help. Yeah, I noticed that too. Sometimes when I start the massage, it, it's almost like that area is like rock hard. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you finish, it's really soft, right? It feels what, like what skin is supposed to feel like. Right. Yeah, and it's funny how it hurts mm-hmm. on the areas with lipoedema too. Yeah. And, um, oh, and I've been trying ginger essential oil also. I just mix a little bit of that into my moisturizer because it's supposed to help with your lymphatics. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, you know, I, I keep trying things. Uh, one thing that made a big difference for me just in general has been um, using supplements. Of course, you know, it's hard recommending supplements. We're not doctors. Um, but I, what I did was I, made a, I, I did a lot of research on, you know, what kind of vitamins could be interesting for me given my symptoms. And um, I've read some research that says that um, even if you're within the certain, you know, the appropriate levels mm-hmm. of certain vitamins, um, if, you're, if you're in the lower range, it might make sense to supplement. So I always supplement the ones that I am in the lower range, um, like one of the vitamins that make a big difference for me is B12, um, makes a big difference in terms of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also take vitamin D, vitamin C, selenium, magnesium, zinc. Um, and one thing that I like, but I know it's controversial in the lipidema world is collagen. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people um, in the groups have said that it can um, make your tissue more fibrotic. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but for me, it hasn't, you know, and I've been using it for, I think, a year and a half now, mm-hmm. um, and I, I actually I see a lot of benefits from it. I think my skin looks firmer, um, and it just, you know, it, it just looks a lot healthier, mm-hmm. So it works for me. Right. Well, I think that's one of the things that is important
0: to emphasize. And I've, you know, tried to do this in previous podcasts as well with different subjects is we're all very, very different. We've all got different genetic makeups and dieting histories and hormonal levels and what have you. So, you know, what works for one person may not be appropriate and work for somebody else. So that's why it is important to see what will work for you. I've had I've had you know similar results with collagen i've used it and it, i found it beneficial i haven't noticed any additional fibrotic areas because of that it was just the same old fibrotic areas that i always have so but but i do the same thing with vitamin d and vitamin c and and magnesium and zinc and selenium i'm kind of iffy on because of just for some reason i just don't like the way it tastes and, <laughs> and um, you know, and I've read things about that it really shouldn't have much of a taste. And if you're tasting it, then you may not need it because hmm. it, there's only so much your body needs and anything af- after that, it can be potentially toxic. And so if you eat certain kinds of food, it provides a lot of selenium. So I, I don't know. I just figure I don't like the way it tastes. So I, at least for now, I'm taking a break from it. I might go back to it in the future. But yeah. um, but everybody needs to kind of do their own research and find out what are going to be the appropriate supplements or eating styles or whatever is going to work for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I think we have to take into consideration uh, the other diseases that we have too, right? Exactly. Because it's so common for people with lipoedema to have other things, like my other thing is Hashimoto's. So people with thyroid disease usually are also deficient in a lot of vitamins. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the ones that I take came from a, a mix of you know vitamins that are good for both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my my other issue is Raynaud's.
0: So, oh wow! Yeah. So you know I have the issue with my my hands going white when it's super cold. But mm-hmm. I also will sometimes get an overreaction to stress, or sometimes if I eat something that kind of gives me a little bit of a an unsettled stomach, it'll trigger a Raynaud's attack, and um, it's kind of crazy, but my, my hands turn bright red, and my feet turn bright red, and I start getting itchy, and sometimes it'll even start to, I'll even break out into hives. So I have to always have, wow. like, antihistamine nearby to to do a couple of shots of that just in case I take the the children's Benadryl and it, it kind mm-hmm. of knocks it out. But it's one of those things that it's interesting because one of the things that I noticed was I used to be getting those attacks like every two or three weeks where I would get the, the dark red hands and my feet and everything would go crazy. And then I changed my diet. And the way I changed my diet, all of a sudden, I hate to even use the word diet, I changed my eating plan. And then all of a sudden, I went from having an attack every two or three weeks to having only two or three attacks in the whole year. Wow! So, it, yeah, I mean, there's, there's everybody. Everybody has to figure it out for themselves. What's going to work for them? And other people don't necessarily need to change their eating plan. Some people do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of the things that a bunch of us are trying right now, or are, are looking at food sensitivities and trying to, to hone in a little bit more on on what foods we're sensitive to. And right. uh, yeah, so it's 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 a it's a learning experience as as we take each day as it comes. So if you had to give advice to somebody who just found out that they have been diagnosed with lipoedema, what would you say to so them? So
1: I, I always, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that have lipedema and a lot of the ladies that are stage one or stage two, they end up finding my article and then they send me a message, you know, an email. Um, and I think what's important to, to understand is that it's not our fault. And I think that's the main thing that we all just need to understand and also to try and convey that to the people that are around us, right? Because um, it's so hard uh, for us when someone that's close, you know, a friend or family or your doctor says that, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And sometimes it comes out, it, it's, you know, sometimes I think it's, they're trying to help, mm-hmm. but it's not really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> And in the, at the end of the day, what I realized that's really helpful is having um, friends, you know, in the lipodema community because people that are going through it, we're the only ones that know what it feels like. Right. Um. Again, because it is a disease that's uncommon, you know. I don't. It's not rare. We all know that. You know. It's. Supposedly, supposedly, a lot more common than we think or than we know of, but there's just no no treatment protocol, you know. So it's hard to know how to how to deal with it. So I think a lot of a lot of people, friends, family, doctors, they don't really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it just takes a little bit of patience, and I think we all have to. To do our part to educate people mm-hmm. and we have to sort of become advocates ourselves you know because um, if we don't do it um, probably no one will and it's going to take a long time until more people know what lipoedema is right exactly and that's why i started the podcast and i know
0: that that's part of the reason why you started doing your your blog and so um I always tell people when they're trying to figure out, they see somebody with it, would you say something to them and, and whatever. And I'm at the point where I tell anybody who will sit and listen to me for a minute and a half about what lipidema is because I'll even tell people who come to do stuff for me at my home, the guy who is measuring my, my condo for my carpeting. I just start conversations about it because the way I look at it is the more people we tell about it, It might not necessarily impact that specific person, but they might have a loved one who looks like me or looks like you, has the same kind of legs, or all of a sudden started complaining about their legs hurting and there doesn't seem to be any reason why their legs should be hurting. You know, it's just like you never know what's going to trigger somebody to be able to turn to somebody they care about and say, hey, you know, I was talking to some lady who has this disease called lipedema. You know, maybe we should look and see if this may be what you have. You just never know how it could potentially impact people. So, that's why I'm so thankful that that you've started that that blog and and started writing on Medium because it gets the word out. And it I kind of feel mm-hmm. like that's our job now is to to get the word out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's what I've been trying, you know, so I try to get the word out with people that potentially, you know, have it and they don't know yet. So whenever I'm writing my articles, I'm very conscious about the words that I'm using because we all know the words that we mm-hmm. Google, right? So I want them to find my article when, I'm, when they're searching so that hopefully it'll give them some answers. Um, another thing that I've been trying to do, but now again with COVID has been impossible, um, whenever I go to a doctor's office, I always try to bring uh, one of those brochures that the Lipedema Foundation has. So I don't know if everyone knows about that, but you can actually go on their website and you can request brochures to be sent to your house. Um, and they're great. You know, so you could take them to whoever you want, really, your friends or, you know, your doctors. Um, if I'm having a massage somewhere, um, I usually take it with me because... I think that people, you know, massage therapists, they probably see it all the time Mm -hmm. and they don't know what it is. Um, Yeah. So educating people that might see it, you know, if you're taking it to a doctor's office, something like that, a a doctor's office that might have a lot of women or, you know, that sort of thing could be impactful. I definitely want to go back to doing that once, um, you know, I'm going out more and going back to going to my doctor's. And the third thing that I also wanted to talk about, Laurie, was about the petition that I have on Change.org. Uh, so I created a petition that uh, in which I'm asking for insurance companies to cover lipedema surgeries Fantastic. and other, um, yeah, and other treatments as well. Because we, as we know, um, you know, most of them don't cover yet, and we've seen some progress in the last year with um, Anthem and Aetna covering but it's not um, you know it's not most of them and we also uh, it would be great you know for um, not only the insurance companies but also you know for Medicare Medicaid uh, for them to recognize it and uh, cover Absolutely. it as well so the petition has over 6,000 signatures already at this point um, and you know it's always good to have more because then people know that it's a really important cause mm-hmm. And I started um, I started promoting it um, and sending it to the insurance companies and to, you know, government agencies that um, oversee insurance companies. So that's fantastic. um, And I've been asking I've been asking for all the help I can get in spreading the word with that petition because obviously I'm just one person. But if we all come together and try, you know, to make an impact, I'm sure we'll we'll get it. Absolutely. And I will include a link to the petition in the show notes for this. But, you know,
0: I, I really have to say I, I actually have started to feel much more hopeful in the last couple of months because for people in the Lipoedema community, I, I think you may have, have recognized this, but there was, I mean, I've kind of known about Lipoedema for a couple of years now. But in this, in this past June, Lipoedema Awareness Month, there were so many activities and so many webinars and Zoom meetings and all kinds of other things that were all focusing on what's going on in lipedema research and living with lipedema and people telling their stories. And it was just, it was exciting. <laughs> you know, I think that there is a real momentum is is basically what I'm trying to say. And, and it, so it, it's kind of exciting to to be a part of all of that. And so I would like to thank you for, for joining me on the podcast today. And I'm going to have links to your petition and to your blog on the show notes. And is there any final words that you wanted to say before we wrap things up? Um, I know you pretty much have, have said so much already. So yeah. I just I, I wanted to make I sure you, you you got a chance to say everything that, that you came here to say today. Was there
1: anything that you think I didn't no, cover? No, I...
0: I know I talk no, a lot, actually so. this has been wonderful but <laughs> that's great But anyway well thank you so much for doing this and I hope you have a great weekend
1: thank you so oh, much for thank having you. me take thanks. care thanks bye you too
0: thanks again to Carol for joining me on this episode there will be links to the ethelipedema blog her medium page and her change.org petition in the show notes and also don't forget in the show notes I've got those videos from the Lipedema Awareness Month events, so if you didn't get a chance to see them when they happened, here's your opportunity to go check them out again. I would also like to thank everyone who has been listening to and sharing the podcast. I'm amazed that we are quickly approaching 3,000 downloads. I would really appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or to your podcast provider and review Spotlight Lipedema. This will help others find the podcast and will help spread lipedema awareness. So if you could share it with your friends on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social media platforms, that would be great too. I hope you're finding this podcast educational and helpful. Stop by the podcast's Facebook page or find it on Twitter at at SpotLipedema and let me know what you think. What would you like me to cover in a future podcast? Remember, this is our podcast and I welcome your input. So until next time, stay strong, have patience with yourself, stay optimistic, and just take things one day at a time.